Blog Talk Radio. So we've got to have a massive legal operation. I know the Biden campaign is working on that. We have to have poll workers, and I urge people who are able to uh, be a poll worker. We have to have our own uh, teams of people to counter the the force of intimidation that the Republicans and Trump are going to put outside polling places. This is a big organizational challenge, but at least we know more about what they're going to do. And, you know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. What's going on, people? It's Saggy Cassidy to bring you live and direct from Los Angeles. Thanks for your patience. It's been a long time, I know. We definitely have a lot of questions to answer email-wise. I'll let you know why we've had to. Uh, we literally had, we essentially had to push back our start time today four times because of server issues. But you know, hey, what can you do, right? We're here. Let's have some fun. Let's get some music in. Then I'll talk about what Hillary was talking. What was uh, we opened with uh, Hillary's comments in the beginning, and then you know you'll definitely hear them again in reference to a lot of these questions. And all I'm doing today is just answering questions that I've gotten, you know, from you, the listeners, our supporters out there over the last couple of weeks. Um, before the election, so some of these may be relate. Some some of these may sound like they're before the election, in reference to like what will happen, what have you. And I actually got a couple today, so I'm gonna try to do uh, at least 20 today for you all, and I'll answer the best I can. And if you have any more, you know, chime in, send them in, put them in the chat, send me an email, what have you. But you know, I like to have my little music bring that brings us into the mix. So let's do a little paranoia. That's my niece out there in D.C. coming with the music live and direct from Washington. She's uh, the youngest of my of my brother's kids out there. Actually, no, 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 no. She's the second youngest of my brother's uh, three kids out there. The, the the mixer. I actually came across this when my brother, Dr. Omikonga Wadabenga, was teaching a class, and he had uh, some of his students rhyming to a beat. First off, the three, the three students, they were ill. I mean, they were like really good. I was saying to myself, you know, that's a music video we can be making right there, and I still think about it. And then I asked my brother, I'm like, well, yo, who made that beat? He goes, oh, you know, that was so and so. I'm like, what? Oh my god, yeah. I'm like, okay. So you know, I definitely pay. I think I paid like 20 bucks for it. You know, because that's what she said. She charges for her beats and stuff like that. So just get down some business. Hope y'all doing well out there. Hope y'all doing safe. Hopefully y'all very safe out there during this pandemic. I definitely have a show talking about the pandemic coming up next week. I'm looking for a way. There used to be a way to set up a block where you could have a, a show scheduled at the same time. You know, all the time. So once I find that option and set it up, I'll definitely be a little more consistent. It's just been a little challenging these last couple of weeks. One, as some of y'all know, my dad passed away this past August. It's even hard to talk about it now, but he passed away this past August. So, you know, it was back and forth between here and Boston. That's where he had passed away, what have you. He had the memorial and things like that. So it's just been a real challenge these last couple of weeks. He was like my Jesus on earth. He was my everything. So it's still 
hard to say that he's not here, but he is here. Yeah, I think I heard his voice a couple of days ago. I really miss him. So, you know, that was paramount on my mind. Uh, you know, also with the teaching, the Zoom learning, uh, te- you know, distance learning, our kids are real struggle are really struggling. In fact, I think someone had a question about that as well. So I'm gonna definitely extend on the answer on that topic. But it's just been a really challenge, especially for the kids. Well, me personally, I can't be, you know, for medical reasons, I can't be on a webcam longer than like 30 minutes, and I just start getting migraines and tears and inducing headaches, right? So that's just a challenge. And then when I have my, you know, the kids, you know, they're struggling. You know, sometimes they can't. I'm not talking about the ones who are lazy that want the cameras off and don't want to do any work or anything like that. But you know, some of the ones who really want to do work. Their hotspot, you know, runs out or goes down. Their internet crashes. They don't have a laptop. They don't have a PC. It's just really a challenge for a lot of kids. And it's, you know, I'm hoping they'll have, you know, some kind of psyche, you know, psycho, psychiatric care for a lot of our kids because, you know, think about a three-year-old on a laptop, not in a classroom. They're just seeing a face like, you know, Max Headroom from back in the day. From those who, you know, who are 80s kids like me. It's just a challenge for them because, you know, they're flying behind. There's no interaction. They don't see their friends. They're stuck in the house. I know uh, one of my students had mentioned to me or business had mentioned to me how she was just getting disengaged with school, felt school was getting boring. And, you know, for the kids, you know, they was, they're used to getting on the laptop to get away from school and education. Now they're on the laptop all the time because of education. And then when they want to have fun, they're kind of burnt out by the time their school day is over. So let's get into this right here. Uh, we have, again, I'm going to try to do about, and I, I actually had about 200, I had 150, 200 questions, and I broke them up into a groups of 20. So over the next couple of weeks, I'll be answering those questions as they come in. And, you know, definitely I like to play my audio clips in support of what we're talking about or at that moment, you know, in case I feel like I, I came across a clip that has a better explanation than I can possibly give that's more concise, what have you. So uh, our first question in the beginning comes from, um, and again, we're going to be 45 minutes live and direct, so I'm going to be in your ear, and we're going to be riding this journey until 1145. So our first question comes from Stephanie in Miami. Uh, her, her question is, hello, Stephanie. Again, thanks. I can see you tuning in. I can see, oh, my God, I see all y'all tuning in. So, you know, once I get everything up and running, um, you know, I'll definitely be able to start taking my calls like I used to. There was a gentleman when I was reviewing movies back in the day where he would call in and we just talk about movies. So I definitely want to get back to that. And I really wish I had his contact info because it was a blast. Talk. I don't even know how you found me, but we would always just talk and have conversation. And he always had some good insight. All right. So if you that guy from New York, you know, I'm talking about you, man. Definitely reach out to me, send me an email or what have you. All right. Uh, again, so we have Stephanie in Miami. Her question is, how is Zoom classrooms affecting our kids? Again, Stephanie, thanks for the uh, for the for the reach out. Appreciate it. Appreciate you being a listener. You know, I definitely appreciate your support. It's 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 affecting our kids in a negative way, and I don't mean you know, I don't want to say all the kids. It's just too many kids, especially those in the inner city or the quote unquote urban communities, or those out in the suburbs. Not the suburbs. Those in the rural area. You know, this issue of the digital divide existed long before the pandemic came around. My law students, I believe my two L's in high school, I had them write it about the digital divide about six, seven years ago. You know, or was it my tech class? I think it was my technology class. It might have been either way, my IT class. And we talked about it. And again, with the digital divide is the have and have nots. Those that have access to technology, laptops, internet, access, Wi-Fi, hotspots, what have you, and those that don't. And, you know, you can only get the internet with it's a server. And I know a couple of years ago, I believe it was Facebook or was it Tesla. I think it was Facebook was talking about having airborne servers where, you know, essentially they have a balloon hovering in one spot and use that as a, you know, a server or a router for folks to get on the internet, right? Or internet connection or portal. I don't know how that's turned out. I just know that Facebook has 
two tech lab hubs in Nigeria. But I don't know how it's working out here. But our kids are really suffering, Stephanie. You know, I can see during the class, you know, you know, for some kids, they don't, you know, one thing is that people overlook is that they don't want you, you know, a lot of kids, especially young ladies, they don't want you to see in their bedroom. I mean, they don't like, you know, just their, you know, their friends, their families, you know, their parents' friends come in. They definitely want to teach you seeing the best. So you can see kids don't want to be on camera. They don't want to have their cameras on. They don't want people to see their bedroom or anything like that or wherever they are. They turn off the camera or they're playing video games. You can tell they're playing video games. You know, it's reflecting in their glasses. And there's other ways you can tell they're playing video games or doing something they shouldn't be doing just by watching. But I won't give those, those, those hints here. But any experienced teachers already know the symptoms. But it's affecting them. You know, they're, getting, they're not getting their hands-on instruction. They're not getting the lessons the way, you know, teachers like to present the lessons. So... You know, and then on top of that, you have them looking at a screen, and then you put a video on a screen for them to look at. So now you're looking at a video on a screen of another screen, and it's just draining for them. There's no interaction. You know, they don't get, the, you know, they don't see the human humanistic side. Is they don't get a chance to see their friends, Stephanie. They don't get a chance to hang out. They don't get a chance to take a break from the class, go to PE area. You know, at where, where you know, since where I teach at, you know, go hang out with them, or you know, be in the bathroom taking their thousands of selfies, whatever it may be. Or just that 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 time to themselves, where they're out of the house, away from the family, away from the the responsibilities they have there, for the most part. But now they're at home. You know, I've had students where they had to turn off the camera because why? I found later on their mother needed them to help clean, and I would say, you know, does your mother know you're in the class? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I understand your mom needs you to help clean, but you know, she doesn't understand you're in the classroom. You can't be missing stuff. Or you know, I had one student who checked during a meeting. She was literally in her her family's car with the phone on. And she was moving, she was moving, she was like, hey, I'll be back in one second. She was in the car, and she's pointing, she had to move the car from one side of the street to the other side of the street. I had another student, uh, Brigitte, she's real cool, right? She's probably, she's probably a fun student in class. I wish she was on debate, she had that personality. But yet, one day, she was in class, she was in the living room, and next thing I see her moving through the living room towards the door. Next thing I see blue sky, and I'm like, where are you going? She goes, oh, I'm just going to, you know, pick up my sister at her school. So she literally, from the time we started class, she logged on in the bedroom, well, I, she lost in some room, walked through the house, walked outside the house, walked down the street a couple of blocks to another school. And the thing I appreciate the most is that she stayed on the phone, right? I had another, other students who log into class while they're in the car. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, and I tell myself, you know, I really appreciate you doing that. You know, it, you know, it tells that you're really serious about your education. But then I have other students, you know, and I'm talking about the ones who are lazy, that don't want to get dressed, they don't want to be on camera, they don't want to do the work. I'm not talking about them. But then you have other ones who they're online and then, you know, within a 40, you know, within a 90 minute class, they're kicked off the internet like five, six times. You know, for those who are teaching, you know, you do Zoom, you can see where, you know, you put in, you know, you let them to admit and you can see the joining, you know, buffering for like five minutes. They get in, then they're kicked out, get in, they're kicked out. Sometimes, you know, if I turn off the notification because that that pinging noise gets my nerves after a while, you know, some of the students will, hey, Mr. Bing, you let so-and-so in because they'll text, they'll text the classmates, hey, you let them know I'm in waiting in case I don't see the notification that they're trying to get into class. So it's going to affect them psychologically. The kids are going to be behind every year. I say that every semester that the kids are on Zoom is two semesters that they're falling behind because what's happening is that, you know, they're not going to be able to retain all the information by the end of the semester. On top of that, the teachers can't really do the full load. They have to cut it down to like maybe 80% of what they would normally do. Like, for example, I like to be interactive, Stephanie, in my classes. You know, I like to walk around, talk to my students, put stuff on the whiteboard. In fact, I was, it was very moving to some of my students, my law students, I believe the two, I was talking about how they really loved when I would write on the board because they would get it. They'll be like so focused on what I was putting on the board. It would really help them focus on what we were talking about. So I like to be interactive, hands-on, watch a lot of video, watch a lot of, uh, a lot of film, a lot of TV shows that are relative, whether it's tech, you know, whether it's uh, law or it's money because I teach finance as well. But our kids, are, they're falling behind. You know, the, um, the UCs I know are talking about Stephanie not using 
are stepping into talking about not using the SATs for four years or whatever. It's not as a requirement or the ACTs, but you know, other schools are still looking at the SATs and ACTs. So now you're looking at, okay, now it's not just Zoom classes. Now you're looking at Zoom test prep. And it's a challenge. Now, students in, you know, in other areas, you know, particularly out in the suburbs where they have access to technology, you know, of the wealth disparity, you know, they, they're online. I saw a study that said at least 95% of them are on the internet when it's time for class. In the urban communities, the, study, the same study said only about 60%. So you have 40% of the students who aren't online, then you have the 40, then you have the students who are, who are looking like they're busy to fool their parents, and their parents are doing work. The report card comes home, they have an app. It's like, what's going on? You know, you call the parents, like, well, I thought the per- you know, I thought he was doing, she was doing work. You know, like, she ain't doing no work. She's just there, you know, playing games, whatever. So it's definitely, you know, it's just, it's, it's not good for our kids. Mentally, they're falling behind. Socially, they're falling, uh, they're falling behind. Spiritually, they're falling behind. Educational attainment, they're falling behind. I mean, when the semester's over, by the time the school starts next semester you know, they're going to probably forget so much of the information. So it's, it's affecting them negatively. And if this pandemic doesn't get resolved soon, you know, plus you have the battle, Stephanie, of people saying, well, we want the schools to reopen. Well, I know a lot of teachers don't want to go back. But at the same time, they're talking about we want the schools to reopen and we want the schools, you know, to have in-person instruction because this allows the, two, the teachers, the, the parents to go to work so they can make money. But if the schools are closed, they, they, have to, they have to stay with their kids. Or in a lot of cases, the parents will take the kids to work. And the kids have to help them at work, you know, especially in L.A., which is very a very service industry. I just feel really bad for them, Stephanie. You know, Stephanie, I just want to, you know, do the best I can. I've kind of cut down my curriculum. About, we'll say, like 20%, 25% of what I want to do in a class. But it's still a lot. But I make sure not to overwhelm by giving, you know, like some teachers do. I don't give them, like, assignments. Okay, here's an assignment to do tonight by midnight or it's due by 9. You know, I do everything while we're in the class. I know they're online right there and then. Right. So, you know, that's what's going on, Stephanie. So we'll see what happens. But thank you for your question. I appreciate it. You know, I definitely appreciate it. We'll see how it turns out. All right. Next question here is from Miriam in D.C. All right. Uh, do you think that Black Lives Matter will start doing more for the black community? Thank you for the question, Miriam in D.C. I believe you all have the uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza that was painted on the ground by the mayor out there. That's another conversation in reference to all these mayors. There's a commonality among a lot of them, especially with a lot of the problems popping up. But to answer your question, Miriam, um, if you've been doing things directly for the black community, no, they're not going to do it. It's too divided. You have black, now if, you talk about, if you talk about talking about things that affect the black community, yeah, they do it already. But we already have enough people that talk about the problems affecting the black community. But Black Lives Matter, the problem with them is that the issue, and I don't mean the people on the ground who are marching with the signs, you know, my life matters, what have you, because, you know, they're seeing the media narrative that creates the image or the illusion that, you know, black kids and brown kids are being, you know, or people are being, you know, brown kids or black people are being, brown people or black people are being chased down the street and shot at and murdered and all that kind of stuff. You know, I remember there was an interview with a, um, Brandon Tatum, Officer Tatum, or the Officer Tatum, he's on YouTube. He cracks me up when he says, uh, when he talks about his videos, right? He goes, uh, what does he say? Uh, uh, watch this video, like this video, share this video. I can't do like he does, but it's kind of cool, right? But he was like uh, walking down with a, with a reporter, you know, a journalist. I don't know who it was. Just asked people random questions. And he didn't dress as a cop. He used to be a police officer, I believe, in Arizona. So he was just walking with people around and the, the, the host would ask people. So, you know, how many people you think got killed by police officers? One person. And I'll probably play it later on. I can find it for my next show. Said like, you know, maybe a thousand. I was like, thousands? Oh my God. Brain was like, you know, how would you feel the number? You find the number is only like about 72. And they're like, what, 72? And they did this all day. And they, and they did this with a lot of people. And the reaction was the same. Like, what do you mean only 72? Like, I feel like 72 or something like maybe. I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's fine. 
I'm just saying the image is that, you know, like a thousand are getting murdered out there. I mean, I was judging a policy debate round among some high schoolers uh, last month. And, you know, one said, you know, we, we have millions of people getting, you know, brutalized by the police. And I said, oh, my God, you know, you're talking about a genocide now. So I don't think they're really going to start doing anything for the black community. I think what's going to happen is that somebody within Black Lives Matter is going to look and say that look and see that they're not doing anything for the community and just say, OK, I'm leaving. I'm going to take what I've learned in this advocacy of Black Lives Matter and the people who I'm sure are getting tired as well, that we're just out there protesting and we're not doing anything conscious of the community. I believe some's going to come from within that uh, organization, you know, on the street level and go out there and start doing stuff because right now they don't do anything for the black community. They're out there protesting as police officers, but they don't protest against the gangs. They are out there uh, protesting against quote unquote state violence against black people and brown people or whatever, but they're or you know, low income people, they, they, you know, they uh, or the, uh, Low, low income Anglos, whatever the Appalachian people, that folks, whatever, because they're struggling as well. But they don't protest against the, the violence against our women in the communities. They don't protest against the violence against our people in the communities, whatever. They don't protest against the gun violence in our communities, right? So it's almost they're saying that that's acceptable. That's like, you know, it's like collateral damage to the overall of change the narrative. And, you know, one thing I'm going to do is show on Black Lives Matter and just talk about, you know, their mission statement. But, you know, Miriam, I just don't. It's not going to happen. The way Black Lives Matter is constructed now, they're making too much money to actually look at the black community. They're looking at this aspect. Yeah, you know, these people, you know, were Marxists and all that kind of stuff, whatever. Part of Marxism is the class struggle, which is that's why you see the riots out there. But they never talk about the riots. They talk about peaceful protests or the people with the right to protest, whatever. Right. But they don't. Then, you know, they never condemn the riots. You saw what happened at the Trump, uh, the million MAGA march a couple weeks ago when the sun went down. It breaks my heart when I saw. Black Lives Matter people, they, they had it on the shirt, the signs, whatever. And, you know, Antifa, there's a question about them as well, but um, I'll get to that question later on, was attacking Trump supporters. It, it broke my heart when I saw this guy knocked to the ground. People getting hit from behind the head and all those kinds of things. Broke my heart. And Black Lives Matter never condemns that. They don't condemn the rioting of the community. They don't condemn the rioting in other communities. They don't care. They don't, they're complaining about the violence that's put upon people in our own communities. You know, they're out there yelling at cops, they're out there throwing things at cops, and, you know, they're out there talking about, you know, defund the police. And it's not them talking about defund the police. It's people that don't live in these communities who need the police that that are not saying defund the police. But you talk to the people in these communities that they, uh, BLM allegedly protests on behalf of, they're saying we need more police than anything else. So I think what's going to happen is that um, when Joe Biden is uh, sworn in January 20th, right, between January and summer is when you're going to see the true mission state of Black Lives Matter. Because what's going to happen now, they're going to have to evolve. Now they're talking about, you know, they want a national audience with uh, President Biden, you know, President-elect Biden, and they want to get rid of the police station. They, no, they want to abolish prisons. You know, they want to defund the police, abolish prisons. They want to do all these things that just brings more violence onto our communities. And, you know, so, you know, Mariam, you know, again, from Mariam and DC, I appreciate your question. But again, do I think, when do I, I, I don't think those, I don't think Black Lives Matter as currently constructed will do anything for the black community. I think they're just going to use the ills of the black community as a ways to get on the microphone and megaphone and to talk about or scream about or share about, share, share about or yell about what's fighting the black community. But all those people out there confronting the police at these protests, I'm sure gang members are in there who are wailing violence on our streets. So I just don't think, again, I just said, I don't think Black Lives Matter as, as currently constructed is going to do anything for the Black community. That's just my vibe on that whole thing. So thank you for your question, Miriam. Uh, the next one is Jason in North Dakota. Jason, what's going on? I hope everything's going well. Uh, let me see here. 
do I think it's a, a do you think it's a big deal to not have results on the night of the election? I think it is a big deal not having it the result because I don't recall I could be wrong, but I don't recall back in the day when elections were cat where, where elections were taking place where the outcome wasn't determined that night, right? I believe in 2016 they found about the results the results that night. Cause I remember Van Van Jones crying on the air and all that stuff and traumatized and Rachel Maddow and shock and all these people. But I just think um I don't I don't think I think because we're in this conspiracy climate these days, I believe it's just going to be a challenge for a lot of people that the longer it takes for the results to be announced, the more um, shady stuff is going on with the electoral vote uh, with the election. So. No, I don't think it's that big a deal. Me, preferably, I'd rather have the results, uh, Jason, on the day of the election or the night of the election. So you can say, okay, we found out who won. That's it. Move on. But now you look, they're doing recounts and all kinds of counts, and I think it's causing more problems. So, again, do I think it's a big deal historically otherwise not to have the results on election day? I don't think it's a big deal. I just think it would definitely help, though, in reference to moving forward and close it. Of course, people are going to say, well, how do you get the results so fast, right, <laughs> Jason? So, yeah, so it's not a big deal. Our next question is from Sarah in Atlanta. All right. Hey, Sarah, what's going on? Hope you're doing well. If Joe Biden is declared the winner after all the votes are tabulated, could a legal challenge for President Trump um, appear? Oh, most definitely. You know, again, I'm getting some of these questions before the, the election was, was, was counted or, you know, tabulated. Almost definitely. He, he essentially held up the process of the declaration of the vote for a month. You remember it took place November 3rd. We're going on, we're going on November 27th. So almost a month. And he's filing legal challenges, which is his right. And people are complaining about it. But hey, is his right to if he's it's his right to you know file these complaints and whatnot. Gore did it back in 2000 with uh, George Bush, you know, with the Chads. So um, is he going to put? Yeah, he's you know his, his laws, you know, Trump, uh, President Trump's lawsuits have been you know denied or dropped, or has made some kind of ruling reference to halt the tabulation. But for the most part, yeah, yeah, he, he can he can he could. Provide uh, pursue a legal challenge. He has been um, pursuing a legal challenge. The challenges have been denied, and he's talking about going to the Supreme Court. But at some point, you know, right now he's allowing the uh, GSA to um, assist Joe Biden with the uh, the transition. So in his own, way, he's conceded the election while he's still pursuing his legal challenges. And you know, knowing Trump as a competitor, he'll never concede. He'll never use. He won't be Hillary Clinton. He'll never say it. I can see he'll just move on and get ready for 2024 and what have you. So again, I appreciate it, Sarah. Next question from Rebecca in Atlanta. Uh, what if President Trump refuses to accept the results? Well, he's not accepting the results. He's thinking it's rigged. He thinks it's a scam. There's a lot of things going on. If you look at what's been happening across the country, some of the reports I've been seeing that are very interesting in the, in, in itself. So he's not. A, he's he's refused to accept the results, and that's why he's filing these lawsuits. Right? He just sees some things that are kind of shady. I think one thing comes to mind is when uh, he got Florida, he got North Carolina, and I believe he got Alaska or something like that. It was obvious he got the states, but the press, the media that night never called it for him. They were calling these other states that, that Biden was getting, but people were wondering, well, wait a minute, how come they're not calling the states here for Trump? And they saw this, again, it was, I believe it was Florida, North Carolina, Arizona. Uh, I believe they were talking about Texas was going the way of the blue, but that came back to the way of the red. Arizona was actually declared for Biden. Then they found more ballots. It became red, then it be, you know, gray, then it became red, like a magenta, then it became red. Then how it became um, for, it became for Biden, but then it became, everybody's looking at Michigan, where I, I remember vividly, I, I found it kind of ominous. I went to bed, Trump's up like about you know like a lot, and then I wake up the next morning, I see that 
Biden all of a sudden is up by 100,000 ballots because they found like 100,000 overnight. It was very odd. So those are things that a lot of people are looking at and just have questions about what happened. You know, uh, Fox declaring Arizona uh, for Biden, even though the, the ballots were even essentially the ballots, they didn't start to, you know, essentially get all the votes in yet. So people think that might be something that had to do with Fox, uh, with uh, Murdoch and his beef with, uh, with uh, President Trump. But those little things are what make people very suspicious of what's going on. You're calling for a state for the you're calling a state for an opponent, and they're still voting. So how does that work out, right? So I appreciate your question, uh, Miss Rebecca. Hope you're doing well in Atlanta. Maybe you know Sarah; she's down at ATL as well. Our right, next question, and again, I appreciate your support, Miss Rebecca. Our right, next question comes from Norman in Wyoming. Is it better to vote by mail or vote in person? It doesn't really, you know, it's neither is better. It's what's more convenient for you. I think that same time, President Trump uh, talking about the shadiness, uh, the possible shadiness of mail-in ballots that he that he was he was advocating for in-person ballots because Democrats tend to mail in, uh, Republicans tend to vote in person. Yet conversely, what happened is that I think as the guy pointed out, the Secretary of State in that, in uh, Georgia, who's a Republican, pointed out that by President Trump talking about you know possible voter fraud with mail-in ballots, whatever, which has been some issues popping up. That he suppressed his own. He suppressed 24,000 Republicans didn't vote because they are they on the out you know, in the rural areas. They said, "Oh, well, it's going to be fraud. My vote's not going to come. I'm not going to vote." So the the Secretary of State, whose name escaped me, said essentially, um, President Biden suppressed his own vote because had those 24,000 votes been counted, President Trump takes Georgia. Georgia's not didn't go blue, as people like to think it is. But we you know we'll, we'll talk about it later on. We'll talk about it later on. So. It all depends what's good for the person, you know, with this COVID thing, voting by mail is the, is more healthy. You're not standing in line for with a lot of people, but some people like the, the peace of mind of voting in person. So they're both the same. They both have, it all depends what benefits the person, but none is better. Neither is better than the other. All right. So that's how I look at it, Norman and Wyoming. I appreciate your question, my friends. Please stay safe out there. Next is William in Stockton. Hey, you all just got a new mayor. You know the current mayor who's about to be replaced, uh, I believe in January or whatever? You know he had a program up there that 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 involves paying violent criminals not to commit crime? Yeah, anyways. Um, <laughs> William in Stockton. Why do so few people vote in U.S. elections? Because they don't think it's important. I believe the last big turnout was a 69-71 where was it, was it, I can't remember what it was, but it was like 60%. But this election, a lot of people turned out. But leading up to up to 2016, you know, when a lot of the black folks vote because it came between Hillary and um, um, Trump, right? Hillary, Senator Hillary Clinton, who left the Democratic nomination. What happened is that I think that, you know, they're not really learning their civic duty in school. You know, they don't really understand how important works. They listen to how important these voting works. They listen to people who say your vote don't count. And the people saying that are people that don't vote on themselves. It's just the, the civic responsibilities like the military with, an, with uh, enlistments going down. Well, from last I heard a couple months last year. But a lot of people don't, very few people vote because they just don't take it serious. They don't think their vote counts. They just don't understand how, they don't see the connection between their vote and what happens to them in their life, in their communities. So that's the reason why. But I think when you have some on the table where people, the media portray Donald Trump as, you know, the of Hitler or, you know, Attila the Hun, where people, you know, create the, the, the image of where we are getting rid of the evil guy. So that's my mission statement, because the media built this narrative of President Trump that we'll get into later on, okay? But yeah, that's the reason why um, William in Stockton, that a lot of people just don't really take their civic duties responsible, uh, responsibly, all right? 
Appreciate it. Uh, next is from Juliet in Nebraska. Uh, how can Democratic Party, after all these times talking about the Republicans are suppressing votes and stuff like that, do the very thing when it comes to getting Kanye and the Green Party off the ballot? But well, that's exactly how that's exactly how the Democrat people operate. The Democrats, you know, the liberals or those who affiliate align with the Democrats, they're the ones who control the media. And the media is portraying all these things that have to do with the election. Let, let me give you an idea of you know, people are talking, for example, right now, uh, President Trump should move on, accept the results, and Whoopi Goldberg's out there talking about, you know, you should you should suck it up the way the Democrats had to do for four years. Let, let me give you some stuff here. Um about how the republic how the democrats viewed president trump uh over these last since 2000 and uh what do you call it 2016 uh let's see if we can get something here uh, this is something from dc shorts i believe it was posted late last this past 2019 and it talks about how some people in the media democrats media and whatever refer to president trump as uh illegitimate and things like that so this is from dc shorts a little clip here hold on for one second let's let it ride you can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. An illegitimate. An illegitimate. Illegitimate. He knows he's an illegitimate president. He's an illegitimate president in my mind. That's it. And we're going to be stuck for six more years with this guy. And that is terrifying. It's terrifying. Would you be my vice president? <laughs> Trump knows he's an illegitimate president who got illegitimate foreign help. Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. He did not win the election without help from Russia. You will see this. And he knows he's illegitimate. Every time you mention it, he freaks out. I believe he knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. And uh, there's no doubt that the Russians did interfere in the election. And I think the interference, although not yet quantified, uh, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered. Uh, I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You do not consider him a legitimate president. Why is that? I, I think the Russians participated in helping this man get elected, mm -hmm. and they helped destroy the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. The American people deserve to know whether Donald Trump is either A, a legitimate president, B, a Russian asset, C, the functional equivalent of an organized crime boss, or D, just a useful idiot who happens to have been victimized by the greatest collection of coincidences. He says in this new book just out today that the Russian attack did sway the election. That Donald Trump would not be president but for that attack. And he says the Trump campaign helped in the attack. It's going to send a big message to a lot of people in this country that you don't believe he's a legitimate president. I think there was a conspiracy on the part of the Russians and others to help him get elected. That's not right. That's not fair. I know that he knows that this wasn't on the level. I don't know that we'll ever know everything that happened, but clearly we know a lot and are learning more every day. And Right now, I think he's an illegitimate president of the United States. Why is he illegitimate? He just won an election. 
uh, he would have to legitimize. He didn't win the general election, so he's got too many people against him. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? Based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> so that goes to your question there, my friend, in reference to why, because essentially what our friend here, and it's a great question, is that uh, Julia in Nebraska is talking about is that, you know, the Democrats have been talking about the Republicans voter suppression, closing ballots, and those kind of things, what have you. That's we can do that for another show, what have you. We only have like about 15 minutes left, so I want to get to all the questions here. But she's talking about that. But yet, what Julia is saying is how, when it comes to the Green Party and Kanye West, the Democratic Party is trying to get those, is trying to find you know loopholes or whatever, get them, you know, green, um, get those two um, entities off state ballots. And then the media doesn't really cover that because, again, the liberals for the most part. Are the are majority of the media, so they're not going to show that. They'll show the Republicans doing something like that, right? And say, hey, this is what they're trying to do: suppress your vote. And then you have the Al Sharpton's the world talking about, excuse me, talking about, well, if your vote wasn't important, they wouldn't try to take yeah, that narrative. But the Democrats going across the country trying to get Kanye and those guys out and, and Green Party and other people. They didn't do anything, I believe, with Joe Joe Jorgensen. Jorgen, what was it, Joe? Jay Jorgensen of the Libertarian, she was running in a couple of states, and they think that probably took some bomb votes from Trump. But that's not a conversation altogether. You know, they they always run the current. They, they can they can you know the Libertarians always do get some votes. But yeah, so Julia, you're right. It's like how could they even talk or complain, right? But now you just heard this 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 Hillary Clinton. You that you heard Rachel Maldow. We don't get to Van Jones. You heard uh, President Jimmy Carter. Uh, you heard uh, late Congressman John Lewis calling him illegitimate. You see, and then you hear people, you hear the Democrats now with uh, President like Joe Biden talking about we need unity and healing and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, but four years, you you know, the lady who said we got to deal with six more of this guy, like he's a legitimate program. You know, she's talking to the president. You know, she's talking to she's talking to Joe uh, to Joe Biden, and he never contradicted her. He didn't say that's not true. He just let it. He's, first thing he said was, "You want to be my vice president?" So you, that's what you've been hearing for four years. Right. So now it's like the Democrats are kind of like, wait, you, you're talking to Republicans doing it. But look what you were doing towards, you know, President Trump. It's for four years, illegitimate Russian assets. It's like, this is like a, it's like a Hollywood movie. I couldn't write that script. Unless I really tried though, Right. So, yeah, I agree with you, Juliet. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's the, you, you, the media will portray what fits the story they want to tell you and that they want you to believe. Right. So I'm glad you caught that. Next question here. Thank you. And thanks to Nebraska for your question. I appreciate it. Um, oh, this next one is, uh, is this, uh, James in Indiana has a question. Uh, hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming back. Sorry, it's been a while. Oh, this is for probably during my last, oh yeah, he sent this question after I went off the air, so I got it. I appreciate it, my friend. I appreciate it, James. Yeah, so the question, he goes, my question is, uh, how come the media doesn't really talk? These are some interesting questions. How come the media doesn't talk about the times that Donald Trump actually condemned white supremacy? Oh, I'll show it to you. Um, in fact, some of y'all like some people have, have always wondered that during that when you talk about you know the Proud Boys stand you know uh, stand down and stand by shouldn't have said that. You know he, he what hurt Trump was the coronavirus and Trump himself was some of the things he was saying right. At the same time, I'm sure he was caught off guard by Chris Wallace because Chris Wallace asked him that very question four years early and he condemned white supremacists. But let me give you an idea of what it means. This is a uh, Shell Atkinson. She used to be a reporter for CBS. 
And she's talking here about how the New York Times actually asked President Trump to his face, do you condemn white supremacy? And he said, yes, I do. And they was going to run a, t- uh, a headline saying that and let her explain what happened. And then you, you'll see exactly why the narrative, again, is that he never condemned uh, white supremacy. It's very fascinating, very fascinating. I can get that here for you, my friend. Here we go. For once, the New York Times actually put an honest headline about Trump that said he had, you know, denounced racism or promoted unity. And the New York Times got so attacked by the mob, the leftist mob on Twitter. And again, this, these can sometimes just be a few people creating the appearance that there is a big mob. That the New York Times actually changed its headline. And we can see in that chapter about the New York Times that there was a later discussion at a staff meeting about, and a lot of headlines have been changed on the Times like this by the mob you know, sort of like news by popularity contest. And there were people who were arguing, well, you know, they've been demanding Trump denounce racism. And by the way, I did a podcast on this the other day. He's done this since 2000 explicitly so many times, but the media always pretends he's never done it. But there's, a dema- there's always demands for him to do it. And then when he explicitly does it, these New York Times staffers were arguing, well, we shouldn't report that he said it because he didn't mean it because we all know he's a racist. So on the one hand, they're demanding, you know, this, this, disavowal of racism and condemnation, which Trump has done repeatedly, but when he specifically does it and it makes a headline, they say, well, the New York Times, we should not grant him that because we're just, you know, doing his bidding by reporting what he said. And they change that headline to say something completely different. They went off on another narrative. There you go. <laughs> That's actually what happened. And if you think she's just making up that he's never said it, well, it's just very interesting when you hear this stuff. In reference to, you know, again, the media is going to, as every country, the media is going to show you what they want you to know, what they want you to think. Makes sense? So when you have these things happen, you know, what, you know, people are just going to say, you know, okay, you know, well, I'm done with that, you know. So let me give you a little clip here of uh, an example of what comes to that question in reference to the ever declared um, denounced white supremacy or what have you. Hold on. How do you feel about the recent endorsement from David Duke? I didn't even know he endorsed me. David Duke endorsed me? Okay. All right. I disavow. Okay. I totally disavow the Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke. I've been doing it now for two weeks. This is your probably about the 18th person that's asked me the question. Uh, David Duke is a bad person who I disavowed on numerous occasions over the years. If he said on Friday, I disavow, why ask him again on Saturday? I'm saying to myself, how many times do I have to continue to disavow people? And the question was asked about David David Duke and various groups. When I put out that I reject the KKK and David Duke, nobody picks it up. You know why they're not? Because they don't want to pick it up. I disavowed him on Friday. I disavowed him right after that because I thought if there was any question, and you take a look at Twitter, almost immediately after on Twitter and Facebook, they were disavowed again. I disavowed him every time I speak to somebody virtually, and, you know, they just keep it going. They keep it going. Yeah, so those, those, those are his own words, driven to him disavow. And again, people don't think, oh, my God, he's so pro-Trump. I'm not actually. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just answering letters here I'm in reference to questions that people may have. I only have about six minutes left, so I want to get at least two more questions in. Again, that's an example. You know, he did disavow it and he said it, and but the media want to show it. You know, I had, there was a question in reference to what about that racist 
that statement that raised the same about Mexicans. In part two, um, I'll just say that he was speaking to an audience in reference to he was talking about Mexicans. Um, in reference to you know he's I think he said like along the lines of I'm not talking about you 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 know the good people that are coming here. I'm talking about the the bad people that the the the, the government is sending. But the thing is, you know, if you only see like half a clip, you don't get the full story. And that's what's been happening, I think, the last couple of months here. So let me get these two questions in. But I definitely appreciate that question, uh, James, reference to what you have brought up. Because that, I have like about 15 questions along the same line. So it's very fascinating in reference to that. I guess that's really on people's mind. But you just heard it for yourself. That wasn't my voice. Um, let me see here. We have uh, Brianna in North Carolina. I see a lot of media about Antifa. I think they're a group of people that want anarchy. What's your feelings on Antifa? I believe it's the same thing. I believe, you know, uh, <laughs> this gentleman said in an interview of Antifa was in the Middle East, they'd be suicide bombers. Was, I can't remember the gentleman's name. He was on uh, Talking Bloggerheads. His name escapes me at the moment. An Anglo professor. I just think, you know, I think someone talked about Antifa in this dynamic that there are a lot of a lot of people went to school the last couple of years. First off, they've been indoctrinated what's going on on college campuses. A lot of these professors, they're just, you know, I've seen some actual videos of classes where they're not talking in reference to teaching the class. They're just pushing an agenda, right? And because they're doing that, a lot of the kids not knowing, you know, they just go along with the program. I mean, you have the conservatives and those who really see between the lines as you saw what happened at Evergreen College that we'll talk about later on where the kids kind of, you know, the inmates kind of Right. So um, Antifa is just, you know, they're a bunch of kids that came out of college. You know, they're the, they're the meat. They're the, everybody gets a trophy generation. You are a special generation. Uh, you can fail. If you fail the class, your parents are going to, are going to complain generation, even though you didn't know where it's those, those people. And they stay inside for all this time. And now they feel locked up with the quarantine, anything like that. They realize they can't get a job. They realize they have all the student debt. They realize they can't pay back that debt. They realize they have no savings. They realize all the things that was promised them when they were little isn't really isn't true. So they just lash out. And because we have a culture where they, people don't punish bad behavior, they want you to, what's that word? Uh, escape me at this moment. Instead of punishing, they want you like, you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, through therapy, help the kids resolve the issue. But what's happening, a lot of these kids don't want to, they don't want to resolve the issue. You know why? Because they don't think they have to. They tear down a statue, get arrested, go to prison. They go, I'm sorry, they go to jail, whatever. The uh, state, the attorney general is a Democrat or a liberal, you know, not too, too much older than like the previous generation. They don't like Trump. They don't like Republicans. They don't like, you know, the police. So what they do is they let them out. They don't process, they don't process any charges, whatever. You know what happens? They go back and tear down another statue. That's when Antifa is. They go burn these places. I saw a video. They're walking down the street, went into a parking lot, and they started taking one of the cars. Uh, people who were at work, they had nothing to do with, they, had, they were just at work minding their own business. If you look up there in Seattle, when you have that, 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 that block of cities of Chaz or Top, whatever it was called, whatever, well, what happened when the police was pushed out, right? They aren't pushed out. The mayor called them out. You know, my friends, like, you, you, you withdraw from that station, whatever, that your area. What happened? Two murders took place. When that started happening, then the, the, you know, the mayor said, okay, we have an issue here. You know, the mayor said it would be the summer of love. So Antifa is the same group of people. They're not really interested in making change. They just want to create anarchy. All right. So now they're talking about get rid of Biden, get rid of Kamala, get rid of all these other people, whatever. That's what they're talking about. And that's an issue. So, you know, we'll talk, well, let me touch on this a little more beyond in part two of our show we're going to do tomorrow. So people of the world are coming to end our, our broadcast here. It was a blast talking with y'all for a while. I see a lot of questions are coming in. So what I'll do is I'll do a part two of this show tomorrow. 
All right. I actually have another show coming up, but I'll figure out a way to do a part two of the show in the morning. Upload it, you know, so y'all can check it out, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll move on to our next show. That's going to be out later on in the evening about some other topics, whatever. So y'all stay safe out there. Y'all stay well. Crazy out there. You know, we're definitely going to talk about the, uh, what you call it, the coronavirus, the vaccine, and all those things. But thanks for your time. Much love. Stay safe. Stay out of trouble, all right? And wear those masks. I'm gone. I'm Watch the road.